Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valliere. I want to give a quick shout-out to my boy, Joe Novitsky, for hooking me up with our new intro music, which is great. I've been looking for intro music all over the internet, and having somebody make it for me was definitely very helpful, so shout-out to Joey Fricks. We're going to talk a lot about the caps here early on. We're going to have a special guest, uh... Later on in the show, my brother, Michael Valliere, is going to join the show via the Jadava phone lines. Uh, very special phone lines, for sure, um, in case any of you are wondering. Uh, so I want to get right into the caps uh, for all you hockey fans. We're going to lead off with that. Uh, if you know about hockey or you follow SportsCenter at all, you know that Alexander Ovechkin scored his 700th goal um, on Saturday against the New Jersey Devils. Unfortunately, the Caps lost that game 3-2. to uh, But Ovechkin scores goal number 700. He's the eighth person in NHL history to do that, and he's the second fastest player to ever score 700. Uh, and he is now nine away from moving to seventh place on the all-time list. He's currently eighth. He'd move into seventh past uh, legendary Cap Mike Gartner, um, with nine more goals, I think he can do that this season. He'd have to score 51 total this season. Uh, so, obviously, it's a huge milestone. Anytime you see somebody score 700 goals in a career, um, it's always looked at as something that's highly impressive, especially in this day and age. Uh, a lot of people thought uh, since, you know, the added uh, equipment to the goalie, uh, every goaltender has more equipment, bigger pads, uh, and the goals are actually uh, slightly smaller than they used to be. So it's become, in this day and age, over the last 20 years or so, much harder to score in the NHL uh, because of the equipment um, and the goaltending uh, that now goes into the NHL. So a lot of people didn't think that 700 goals was going to be a realistic option for a lot of players. The NHL's all-time leader in goals is the great one, Wayne Gretzky who put up 894 goals in his 20-year career. He retired back in 1999. Uh, and nobody has really ever come close. Second place is Gordie Howe with 801 goals. That's 93 less. And uh, he played 24, uh, 34 years in the NHL and could barely score over 800 in a league where it was much easier to score goals. You know, it's looking legit that Alex Ovechkin could potentially end up with the second most goals all time. Uh, he's currently sitting at 700. He'd need to score 102 more in his career if he wants to get the second place. He needs 195 more goals uh, for the all-time record, which means that if he were to play four more years, he would need to average about 50-plus goals a season, which, of course, for a machine like Ovechkin is not necessarily out of the realm of possibility, but come on. Uh I think Ovechkin's going to play as long as he needs to in order to break the record. Uh, I see Ovechkin playing four to five more years in the NHL. I could be wrong. He could play less. He could even play more. Um, but considering he is the best goal scorer of our generation, in a generation where it has become so incredibly difficult to uh, score, uh, the fact that we have Alex Ovechkin, I don't even think, Connor McDavid will score 700 goals in his career, and I think he is Wayne Gretzky Jr. 
Um, I just don't think we'll ever see another 700 goal score in the history of the NHL. Uh, that's just me, uh, but it really is quite the privilege to be able to watch a guy like Alex Ovechkin uh, do his thing for the past 15 years. Uh, he's a champion, he's an MVP, and he's scored 700 goals. Uh, so he, I think, has firmly established himself as truly one of the greatest players uh, of all time. So this is a special treat here on the Jadava Show. We have our first ever guest uh, calling in from Sarasota, Florida. My younger brother, who is two years younger and not nearly as good as me in anything at all, uh, my brother, Michael Valliere. Thanks for joining the show. Mike, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk and to you, Mike. by the way, I am way better at everything than you, for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I just started this podcast, and I can't afford to right, lie. Right, right. I can't afford to lie to people <laughs> and tell you that you're not. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. All right, let's get right into it. Let's talk some caps. Uh, yeah. Obviously, this weekend, Ovechkin scoring goal number 700 against the Devils. I know you watched that game. Uh, so just what are your thoughts on him finally breaking through and finally getting to 700? Eighth time it's ever been done in NHL history. Well, I mean, I wasn't surprised. Like, I knew he was going to get to 700. I just didn't know when. I, truthfully, I thought um, he was going to do it in the Golden Knights game just because I thought, you know, at the, at the rate that he was going, because he had just done, like, two back-to-back -back hat tricks. Like, he was on fire. I was like, oh, he'll have a small draw, and then by the Vegas game, we'll see 700. But, no, we just kind of coasted and went in a slump. In the, but, you know, luckily, uh, during this Devils game, they uh, got the puck to him, and he, he landed that 700th goal. Uh, 700th goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. And um, I was like, all right, that's, that's amazing. But what I was most excited for is, like, okay, now we can – you know, take our focus off of Ovechkin and focus more on defense and, you know, really going back to normal. Because right, we've just, I feel like we've been so, you know, set on getting Ovechkin to 700 because we've been, he's been right at the cusp for, what, a couple months now, really. I mean, it's all, it's all everybody's ever been, all people have been talking about the last couple of weeks ever since those back-to-back exactly. -back hat tricks. It's like, one's Ovechkin, everybody's on 700 goal watch for Ovechkin. Yeah. Yeah, and like all the advertisements for the game, like I'll, I'll get a notification on my phone, and the first thing it says is, "Oh, does Ovechkin, you know, is continuing his hunt for goal 700?" So that was kind of that was the narrative for I want to say this past month. So him getting that is definitely it's it's almost storybook. Um, I'm really like it's awesome, but I'm very excited that this could definitely mean, hey, we're going to go back to playing normal and, you know, not focus as much on, like, all right, let's get Ovi out there for the sixth time, yeah. you know, even though it's not his line change, you know. Yeah, it's, so, an, inter it's an interesting uh, perspective that you have. You know, I, I mentioned earlier how Vetchkin is now 195 goals away from um, passing Gretzky to, get to, to getting to 895, uh, which <laughs> at one point seemed unfathomable, and now all of a sudden it's like, a legit possibility. Uh, I, I think I think he's already the best goal scorer of all time. Do you think that this um, scoring 700 goals in today's NHL where it's harder to score, uh, even more impressive than guys like Gretzky who scored 894? Uh, I think there's no denying that he is the greatest goal scorer of all time. I mean, what's he at now, 40, 42? 42 for this For this season, season. I mean, yeah, 42. Yeah, he's a, he's a machine. 
and he, like at age thirty four. Yeah, he's not getting any younger. I mean, and you compare him to guys like Pasternak, who's a younger guy who can just start. He can throw him in the goals whenever he wants. And Elvechkin's hanging right with him at the age that he's at. Like he's he's showing no signs of slowing down. We're not even, you know, we still have a lot of games left. We still have, you know, the playoffs. And I, I no, he's he's the best goal scorer. And you know, back then, like, were, were the goals bigger back then? Uh, yeah. The, the well, no, they were. Yeah. They were. Yeah, they were a little bit wider, and the goalies' equipment were um, much less than they have now. Like the pads weren't as yeah, big as they are now. Yeah, like it's almost like well, take take Gretzky in his prime when he got you know when he was going on his thing to get to eight ninety five and put him where Ovechkin was. Do we see the same workload? If you ask me, I say no. Yeah. I think Ovechkin's the better goal scorer. I think you put if you put Ovechkin. In Gretzky shoes back then, I think we see, you know. You think a thousand? Oh, I think I think that's totally appropriate to say. And if not, you know, that's a pretty bold within, statement. Within, yeah, scoring a sure. thousand goals. Uh, let me transition into this. Obviously, yesterday we saw the Caps uh, take down the Penguins five to three, which was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Ovechkin didn't score, but you know the Caps were able to still rally around guys like. Carl Haglin, TJ Oshie, and uh, Tom Wilson. How bit like? Obviously, this is a big win for the Capitals. But what do you think? The the Caps still have some pretty glaring problems, such as defense, such as goaltending, uh, yeah. and not scoring in clutch moments and struggling on the power play. Uh, what do you think is still the Caps' biggest issue as a team uh, that they really need to fix and address before they uh, enter into the playoffs this year? You know, if you had asked me that two weeks ago, I would have. I would put all the blame on Braden Holpe. Um, but now, I mean, I still think Holpe is going through a bit of a slump, but I think, you know, it's more our defense right now because, you know, obviously Holpe is letting some by, but I think we're hanging him out to dry. Right. Quite honestly, I, th- I think our defense isn't, hasn't been stellar as of late. You know, we, we've let some we've let some goals in that I've, I've watched, and I'm like, what? Like, even to, even, you know, yesterday during the game, uh, when we faced the Penguins, they got two goals in on us. I think it was in the span of 29, 20 or 29 seconds. I don't remember. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what, like, what is going on? You know, granted that wasn't, I'm not going to blame that entirely on Holby because the, the goals that we, they did get on us, I was like, all right, that's, that's legitimate, but they should have never gotten to Holby. Our yeah. defense wasn't there to stop them. You know too many so, breakaways. Yeah. It was just now the first goal that they had got to start that the, the two goals within the twenty seconds was a, a rebound. Um, I forget who they hit a slapper, bounced off a Holby, and then there was a guy right there. I think it was uh, I don't I don't remember who it was, but he I mean it was right there and he just popped it in. You know, and I'm not going to blame Holby. There's nothing he could have done, but you know we just weren't our defense wasn't there. You know, and it was especially the second time because um, I think it was TJ Oshie. There was someone hit the. Crosby was guiding the puck in, I think, and it was knocked out of his stick, and um, uh, Oshie fell over and slid it, like slid with the puck and knocked it into the goal. Yeah. So we scored on ourselves, really. I so. saw, yeah. That I mean, it's but that's the type of that's the way the Penguins play. Lies they get a lot of crap like that. Um, yeah. So, I, but you know, I, I still think our, yeah. our defense. To answer your question, our defense is definitely severely lacking more so than it's been in recent memory yeah 
Yeah. If we're, so, if we're to have any hope in the playoffs, we have to, like, this, this, this is our moment to suck. Like, if we're going to suck, let's suck now. Let's get it out of the way so that way, come the playoffs, we've got everything figured out. You know, we've buffed out all the kinks and stuff. Let's, yep. you know, yes. let's work on it. I wanted to get you, because I know I didn't watch, I'll admit, I did not watch the Wilder Fury fight a couple nights yeah. ago, but I know that you did. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Fury's big win over Wilder uh, this past Saturday night. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, if, um, if anyone listening doesn't know, I'm a huge fight fan. Um, yeah, but pretty last, well documented. Last night, last night was a, I mean, I think it's appropriate to say it was a historic event. It was the biggest heavyweight bout since, I almost want to say, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, too. You know, um, and that's that's very bold to say, but it was it was it was a it was a huge anticipated anticipated rematch between uh, two of the best, and um, yeah, it was it was absolutely it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was expecting it to be, I was expecting it to be back and forth with uh, Tyson Fury really you know dominating in the tech, technical boxing aspect with. You know, Wilder biding his time and trying to land that overhand right, that great equalizer, as they call it. But, you know, where it differed from in the first fight, whereas in the first fight, um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't super even. I mean, no one was really beating each other, but Tyson Fury was definitely outpointing Wilder in the first fight, but no one was, like, dominating the other one until the 12th round where Deontay Wilder uh, landed the horrible knockdown on Tyson Fury and somehow Tyson got up and uh, finished off the round strong. I don't know if he won that. I'll have to go back and look at the scorecards. But um, yeah, this fight I was expecting, you know, very much the same, like going to, to go, it going the distance and it being a really competitive match. And that is not what we saw. Right from the get-go, we saw, first of all, both men came in Gosh, I want to say twenty pounds heavier, especially Tyson Fury. He had been he'd been working. Yeah, he looked a coach. little he looked a little pudgy. Yeah, well, he I mean he was much larger in this fight and much stronger too. Man, both men were much stronger, but um, this fight showed that Tyson Fury knew how to use his weight much better. Uh, Tyson Fury got a new coach for this one to help him work on his knockout power, and we really we saw that showcase very well uh, during this fight. It did not end in knockout. It ended in technical knockout. Um, had the towel not been thrown in, it would have definitely ended in knockout. But um, fight opens up. Both men are looking pretty good. Early on, Wilder lands up that signature overhand right. And, uh, you know, it didn't really have... I mean, it could have been that it was very early in the fight. Both men still had a lot of gas in the tank. But Tyson ate it, and he looked really good and came back and started throwing some wild combinations. And I think... Towards the end of the first, a little bit in the second, we saw we saw those legs of Wilder get very weak, like, you know, very shaky on his legs. And in the third, we saw um, we saw Wilder get dropped from a uh, overhand right from I'm saying overhand right a lot, just because that's you know it's a, that's just what they were throwing. They were they they were both going for the knockout. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tyson Fury uh, landed an overhand right just after they had uh, been broken up from a clinch. Uh, came right out, and uh, I think he, he fainted with the jab, and then came right over with the right, um, and dropped Deontay Wilder. That is the second time in Deontay Wilder's uh, career that he has ever been dropped. So it was 
pretty the big deal. It, yeah, oh my gosh, the crowd couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah. Uh, Wilder got got up pretty quick. You know, didn't I mean it hurt him, but it didn't put him out. But the rest of the fight, he was just he was not there. I think that first punch actually uh, took a ruptured his eardrum because he was bleeding pretty bad from the ear. And uh, it went uh, it went another four rounds, and it was just brutal. Oh, it was brutal. And then the seventh round, we uh. We saw that TKO where uh, Wilder was backed up into the corner and uh, Fury just decided to turn the gas on and started smashing through the guard and, you know, was battering him pretty well. And then uh, Deontay Wilder's corner just threw in the towel, rightfully so. Uh, Wilder was coming back. He wasn't going to he wasn't going to win that fight. He was he was tired. He was battered. He was. Yeah. So, um, you know, congratulations to Tyson Fury. I was rooting for him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, I'm not going to say it was the most competitive and amazing uh, boxing fight I've ever seen, but it was definitely, it was historic. It was something that, it was a shocker, you know, and uh, no, it was great. Um, it's good stuff. I don't, oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a blast. Um, I think now we go on to see uh, an undisputed championship out between uh, Anthony Joshua, who holds the other uh, boxing championships and... Tyson Fury, who holds the WBC um, World Heavyweight title, and I think we see a unification belt between the two. Hopefully, later this year. So yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, it's definitely game. more is definitely a more compelling fight than the one I saw. Uh, what was it last month? Cowboy Cerrone against Conor McGregor. Uh, yeah, definitely was, much more of a. I, I mean, this one definitely had much more of a of a feel of a more competitive yeah, fight. Yeah, it was. It had that. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. A great, great venue. Um, I'm excited for uh, Fury's next fight. So we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, we are both originally from Ashburn, Virginia, but Michael uh, has been in Sarasota, Florida, for the last month and a half, working uh, various construction jobs. Uh, obviously, the work is hard, but the environment that he's in has been more than ideal uh, down there in sunny Florida. Uh, so. <laughs> What's Florida been like for the last month and a half? I know there are a lot of viewers that have been following your journey. Uh, so just how's it been being down in Florida? How's it been being away from home? Uh, what's uh, that been like? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks for asking. It's, um, it really, it's been a journey, man. It's been something that you read about in the book almost, for me personally, like the way I'm perceiving it. It's been a very, you know, I'm being faced with a lot of things that, you know, I just had been putting off for a while. Um, so I'm down here in Sarasota doing a program called Training Grounds. It's like a discipleship program to help you, you know, grow in your faith as a, you know, grow as a believer and as an adult. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been really good for me just to kind of be in this environment where I'm living with uh, people who I don't know. Um, obviously, I know them much better now because we've been living together for about six weeks. Um, it's just, yeah, it's been an experience. Like I'm have, I have to <laughs> buy my own food and wash my own clothes, and you know, not that I wasn't doing that before, but now I'm like doing it because I absolutely have to. Like, there's, no, you know, I can't just be like, you know, coming home tired and be like, oh, mom, could you throw this in the washer for me? You know, like this is, it feels like, you know, <laughs> yeah. an adult life. Yeah. And um, I've definitely 
um, you know, just leaned on the Lord a ton for this because it's, it's been it's been difficult, you know, just being ripped away from everything you're comfortable with and, you know, obviously working really long hours, like, you know, 45 um, hour weeks and, you know, pretty, I'm working construction in the heat of Florida, so it's it's obviously very tiring, but, um, and then after, after work hours, we have like, uh, act, you know, lessons where people come in and, you know, teach us things. Uh, I know just the other night they had uh, a couple guys come in and teach us the basics of fly fishing. You know, just cool stuff like that. Right. So, um, well, not yes. No, I was just. I mean, I was just gonna say that's awesome. Everybody's been thinking yeah. of you. Everybody's been praying for you, and uh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah, man. I, I, I told. Yeah, I, uh, I, I miss home. I definitely miss home. But I'm very, I'm very happy for this opportunity that you know I've been given. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's been, it's been good. It's been hard, but I think it's, I can just chalk it up as, you know, growing pains because I'm being, you know, you know, just growing up is difficult and, uh, I'm doing it right now. So, good. you know, but it's been good. It's been really good, man. But uh, obviously I miss everyone back at home. I miss you. Um, but you know, Aww. I'll be back. I'll be back in May. So yeah. Listen to that. Listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, Michael Vall- Michael Valier, everybody. Thank you for joining the show. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Good talking to you. All right, talk to you later. All right, see you, man. All right, Michael Valier, everybody. Uh, let's move into basketball. The Lakers, led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis, pulled out a clutch win over the Boston Celtics, 114-112 uh, to 112 last night at Staples. Uh, the Celtics lose despite Jason Tatum putting up 41 points on 8 of 19 shooting. He's the youngest player in the Lakers-Celtics rivalry to ever score 40. Uh, Anthony Davis put up a game-high 39 minutes, scoring 32 points on 10 of 25 shooting with 13 rebounds and 3 assists. And 35-year-old LeBron James put up 29 points with 8 rebounds and 9 assists on 9 of 19 shooting in the big win. And what... I would like to think is the best rivalry in all of basketball, one of the best rivalries in all sports. I just want to say this about LeBron, and this will be real quick because, you know, I don't like to talk too much about basketball. I don't like to talk too much about LeBron because I personally think LeBron is the best basketball player of all time. I think he's better than Michael Jordan. I think when you look at both of their skill sets, considering the eras that they played in, if they went one-on-one, LeBron would toast Jordan Ten times out of ten. Uh, physically, he is just so much more dominant than Michael Jordan ever was. But that's a discussion for another time. Um, LeBron's 35. He's currently averaging the fewest minutes of his career. And he's still going out there and putting up 25, 11, and 8 at the age of 35. He's a legit MVP candidate at age 35. You know what Michael Jordan was doing at age 35? Retiring. Yeah, I get it. He won his last championship. But Michael Jordan was at the end of his career by age 35. It looks like LeBron has hit a brand new stride at age 35. And this is the problem that I think a lot of people run into when they talk about great players or players that are seemingly deemed as the greatest. And I'm even a victim of this in the NFL when it comes to Tom Brady. Whenever there's a greatest, there's always a large amount of people, if not the vast majority, that are trying to dethrone that player, trying extra hard to find other players that might be better. Now, with the NFL, it's obvious. 
With Tom Brady, everyone always tried to dethrone him with Aaron Rodgers. Although Aaron Rodgers has only won one championship in his 15 years in the NFL. Tom Brady's won six in 20 years. Obviously, it's hard when you count the championships. If you do that, Tom Brady will always be the GOAT. But everyone's still trying to put Aaron Rodgers above by giving out qualifiers. Oh, well, he's this. Oh, he's more talented at throwing the football. Oh, he throws a prettier deep ball. He's better on his feet. He's more mobile. He, you know, has more value on the court. Whatever you want to say about Brady and Rodgers. People will make extra excuses for Rodgers just simply because of Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's legacy is cemented. He's the greatest and most successful quarterback of all time. So there's going to be people that try and tear him down and try and take him out. It's the same thing with LeBron, guys. Last year, the Lakers missed the playoffs. Forget that LeBron missed 17 consecutive games, which was a career high at the time due to an injury. And the fact that the Lakers were the four seed when he got hurt and were completely out of playoff contention by the time he got back... People in the playoffs, like Max Kellerman, came out and said, Kawhi Leonard now is the best player in, in the game. Or Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the game. Just because LeBron misses the playoffs once, he had made the finals in eight straight seasons before missing the playoffs this year because, last year because he was hurt. People are trying way too hard. Well, Kawhi Leonard was the best because he missed because he made the playoffs this year and because he won the championship. It was the same thing when Steph Curry was winning his championships. Everyone was trying to crown Steph the best player in the NBA, even though everyone knows that was so never going to be an option. Because Steph came up way short, especially in the 2016 finals late against the Cavs with a 3-1 lead in those last three games as he watched Cleveland win the championship. I think that disqualifies disqualifies you from being the best player in the game. LeBron's still the best. And LeBron will be the best until the day he retires, which may be five or six years from now because I think he'll play forever. Let's face it. This was the biggest game of their season. This was huge. Playing a heated longtime rival like the Celtics in a tight game, hitting that fadeaway shot matched up against... Jalen Brown to put the Lakers up by one with 30 seconds to go in front of a staple center that is expecting LeBron James to do that stuff. The expectations that LeBron has had to play with in his career are incredible. He was expected when he came into the league in 2003 to become better than Michael Jordan. He was supposed to be the next MJ. He came right out of high school went to a team in the Cleveland Cavaliers who were absolutely nothing when he got there. Okay, the Cavs had missed the playoffs six of the seven previous years before LeBron had arrived there. And he immediately was put, came in and the weight of the entire franchise fell completely on him and they gave him almost zero help outside of Shaquille O'Neal during his first seven years in the league. And then Cavs fans were pissed when LeBron left for Miami. The decision, obviously, was not a great choice, but he left for Miami, and now he has help. He has Dwayne Wade, he has Chris Bosh, and all of a sudden, the weight of the entire basketball universe once again falls on the shoulders of LeBron James. He has to win at least one title once he gets to Miami. Forget that in his four-year absence from, Cle from Cleveland, the Cavaliers never finished with more than 33 wins in a season while LeBron was gone. They missed the playoffs all four years, and in their first year without him, they went 19-63, and 63, which 
was the second worst record in the NBA that year if it weren't for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It would have been the worst. Then LeBron comes back. Everyone's ready to make up for me. Won two championships in Miami, and guess what? He comes back for four more years, and they make the NBA Finals all four years. They win another championship, the first championship in the history of that franchise. LeBron wins his third. But they would have won more had they not run into the unfairly stacked Golden State Warriors, who had Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and oh, one Kevin Durant. And if it weren't for KD... Linking up with the already stacked Golden State Warriors, I think LeBron wins a fourth, maybe a fifth championship and multiple in Cleveland. And this and last year, LeBron's first season away, again from Cleveland, they went 19 and 63 again. The impact of LeBron James is staggering. It's amazing. Just look at what the Cavs did without him. And in the Five full seasons since he left Miami, they've missed the playoffs three out of those five seasons, despite them making the NBA Finals all four years that he was there. So, you could talk about LeBron James versus Michael Jordan all you want. you got to look at replacement value. When you're gone, what does your team do without you? The Cavaliers stunk like worst team in the NBA stunk when LeBron left. When he left Cleveland, when he left Miami, they're a borderline playoff team, despite having a great coach in Eric Spolstra. Okay, the first time Jordan left the Bulls, he le- he missed the 93-94 season and the 94-95 season. Both of those seasons, the Bulls went to the conference semifinals games, and one of those years they won 55 games without Michael Jordan as he was pursuing a career in minor league baseball. Okay, and then when he was with the Wizards, the Wizards missed the playoffs both years Jordan was there. Two years after he retires, they make the playoffs. They build a team that's good for the playoffs. It's all about what they do without you. Do they get better without you, or do they get worse without you? In my opinion, if they get worse without you, that really solidifies and validates your greatness. That's why I think LeBron's greatness is so validated. He's literally one of the most irreplaceable figures in the history of sports. Now, I'm not saying that Michael Jordan wasn't irreplaceable. He was Michael Jordan, and I think he's the second greatest basketball player to have ever lived, because I think LeBron's the best. But it's all about replacement value. When Tom Brady got missed the entire 2008 season, he's the GOAT, right? He's the so-called greatest quarterback of all time. Well, he missed an entire season, and guess what? They went 11-5 anyway with Matt Castle, who then proceeded, once he left New England, to sign a six-year, $62.7 million contract with $28 million guaranteed with the Kansas City Chiefs. And what has Matt Castle done since he left New England? In the 66 starts since going 11-5 with New England, Matt Castle went 26-40, completing south of 58% of his passes, throwing for 81 touchdowns to 69 interceptions, and never once started a full 16-game season. So the Patriots went 11-5 with that guy, with Matt Castle, who ended up being a career backup, who is still playing in the NFL as a low-end backup quarterback. But he replaces Tom Brady, and they barely miss a beat. 
And everyone says, oh, well, New England, you know, the Patriots still missed the playoffs. Yeah, well, how often do 11-5 and five teams miss the playoffs? They played in a stacked division that year with, t- with the Dolphins, who won the division, and had the tiebreaker with the exact same record, and the New York Jets, who had Brett Favre at quarterback. So, it's all about replacement value. LeBron's irreplaceable. You're starting to see it with this year's Lakers, just how valuable he is. They're the number one seed in the West. They are, in my opinion, they should be the favorites to win it all. I get it. They they really don't match up well against the hometown rival Clippers. The Clippers seem to have their number. And I get it. They play great defense. They're the third seed in the West for a reason. Do I think the Clippers can win a championship this season? I don't know. I think a lot of those predictions are very emotional considering Kawhi Leonard won the title last year. I still like the, the the Lakers to win it all. They've got 43 wins to only 12 losses. Uh, they really have shown to be the most complete team in the West, which I think is the dominant conference, and they have LeBron James. Even at age 35, LeBron is still good enough to win a championship with a team on his shoulders. He took a completely depleted Cleveland team to the finals twice during his second stint there. You don't think he can take Anthony Davis to the finals this year? Who's going to be his competition? Houston? Denver? Utah? I really don't think there's anything stopping the Lakers from going to the NBA Finals this year except for the Clippers, who play great defense. And they have the reigning Finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard. It's going to be tough, but I think they'll do it. I think they're very good. So, obviously, a big win last night for the Lakers over the Celtics. Uh, We'll end with this. I wanted to talk a little bit about a certain team in the NFL that needs to find a new quarterback. Now, there are a lot of teams that need a new quarterback. The Chargers, the Colts. You could even make an argument for the Raiders. And there could be an argument for the Patriots at some point that they need a new quarterback. Uh, You could also argue the Jaguars. Uh... This team, no one's really talking about them, but they really desperately need a new starting quarterback, uh, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Jameis Winston, love him or hate him, I think he's the most polarizing quarterback playing in the NFL right now. He can do anything, and he's real. I've really never seen a quarterback like him in my entire life. He just threw for 5,109 yards, which led the NFL. He's the 11th quarterback. Technically the sixth quarterback in NFL history to ever throw for 5,000 yards in a season, joining the likes of Dan Marino and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees, Matthew Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, and Ben Roethlisberger, and that's cool. And he threw 33 touchdowns. 5,100 yards and 33 touchdowns is usually a crazy good season. Averaged 8.2 yards per attempt. That's really good. But... He led the league in attempts, didn't come anywhere close to leading the league in completions, completed just 60.7% of his passes, and became the first quarterback in over 30 years to throw 30 interceptions in one season. Last quarterback to do it was Vinny Testaverde, back in 1988, coincidentally, also for the Buccaneers. Look, a lot of people love Jameis Winston and think that 
the Buccaneers should give him a couple more years uh, to try and figure this thing out. He was obviously the first overall pick back in 2015. So first overall picks like Jameis Winston get a little bit longer of a leash because of their draft position. Um, and a lot of people like me think it's time to get rid of Jameis. It's not working. They haven't been winning. He turns the ball over at an astronomical rate. Let him be someone else's head problem. A lot of people think that way. And I agree with them. In 70 starts, Jameis Winston is 28-42. and 42. He has never played or started in a playoff game in five years in the NFL despite going number one overall. Do I think the Buccaneers could be a 9-7, and 10-6 type of team with a turnover-free Jameis Winston? I think they could be a 12-4 team if Jameis Winston didn't throw so many picks. The guy can throw for 5,100 yards and 33 touchdowns in a season. He can have regular seasons reminiscent of Peyton Manning. I mean, he's that good. Everyone's putting, you know, Peyton Manning and Jameis Winston's first five years stacked against each other, but they honestly play in a very different league. Defenses were a lot more tough back in the day. Peyton Manning was able to win with better defenses. They don't really play defense anymore because the rules have taken defense out of the equation. So the Buccaneers have had some atrocious defenses in the last five seasons that Jameis Winston has had to work with. You can't take all that blame off Jameis Winston. When you're giving the other team a short field and you're consistently putting your team in really dangerous situations, then yeah, the defense is not going to look that good when you do that came across this number, which I was stunned by, is that Jameis Winston, in five seasons, has thrown three or more interceptions in a game 11 times. He's thrown four or more six times, and he's got one career five-interception game, and that came this past season against Carolina. This season, he three different... On three different occasions this season, he threw four interceptions or more. I'm sorry. I don't want that on my team. If I'm a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm looking a different direction. So I was thinking today about where the Bucs could go at quarterback if they choose to move on from Jameis Winston. Now, there have been talks that the Bucs might franchise Jameis. They might give him like a, a two-year deal, a short-term deal, to see if they still want him. You know, I've seen all of that, I, but I really don't know. I think that the Buccaneers, if they're, the way Bruce Arians is talking about Jameis, talking about how he really needs to cut off the turnover, Bruce Arians has spoken very bluntly, publicly about Jameis, which, and considering what we've heard out of the Bucs camp, that they really just want to give him a short-term contract means that they're not all in. They're not sold on him as their quarterback, which means a divorce is coming soon, so why not have it be this offseason? The guy throws 30 picks in one season. Let him do that for another franchise. Okay? He just got coached up by Bruce Arians. A lot of people call him the quarterback whisperer. He resurrected Carson Palmer's career. Let him be someone else's problem. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be a lot easier watching Jameis Winston throw interceptions, a bundle for another franchise.
If the Bucks wanted to go in a different direction, I would recommend maybe Philip Rivers. But Philip Rivers, you run into pretty much the same exact problem. A lot of turnovers. A lot of people have linked Philip Rivers to the Buccaneers in the media, but the guy just threw 20 interceptions himself. Third most in the NFL behind Jameis and Baker Mayfield. So a lot of people are suggesting Philip Rivers to Tampa. I don't like that. If Tampa Bay wants to start winning soon, I wouldn't recommend signing Philip Rivers. Because Philip Rivers will be 39 next year, and I think he's turnover prone himself, and he's very old. He's at the end of his career. What I would say the Bucks need is a Teddy Bridgewater. Now, I know last Thursday I was talking about Teddy and saying how I don't think that Teddy Bridgewater is a very good quarterback. I think he's been overhyped by the market. And I think his performances on great teams like the Vikings and the Saints make him look a lot better than he really is. I think he's a decent quarterback. I don't think he's anywhere close to being a game changer. The Bucs have had a game changer type of quarterback in Jameis Winston. He's way too aggressive. He takes way too many shots. Teddy Bridgewater will throw the ball at an intermediate rate at a pretty good pace during a game. You know, he, he'll throw a lot of screen passes, a lot of short crossers, but he could throw the ball vertically every once in a while. He doesn't have much of an arm, but he can throw the ball 20 to 30 yards downfield and have him be accurate. If I'm the Buccaneers, I really do think that Teddy Bridgewater is a good bridge quarterback. No pun intended. I think they should sign Teddy Bridgewater to, to a two or three year contract Keep him there for a couple of years. Have him set up your future. I think the Buccaneers could win nine or ten games with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think they're a rebuilding team at all. I think they're very close. They have a lot of really good offensive pieces like Mike Evans. If O.J. Howard ever decides to show up, I think the the Buccaneers could be pretty solid at the tight end position. And their running game, I think, is only going to get better with added pieces to the offensive line. I think Teddy Bridgewater would be a very logical stepping stone into the future for Tampa Bay. Now, whether the future holds Bruce Arians or not, because he's up there in age and he's already talked about retirement before, that I don't know about that. So I don't know if Bruce Arians wants to sell out completely to allowing the future to be controlled by Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm much more sure of that than Bruce Arians wanting to bet his Bucks career on Jameis Winston. Based on the way that he's talked about him, there haven't really been glowing endorsements. Bruce Arians used to talk up Carson Palmer all the time. Oh, Carson's this. Oh, Carson's that. Carson's an MVP candidate, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? Carson Palmer had the most productive seasons of his career under Bruce Arians. And the Cardinals went to an NFC championship game. Because Carson Palmer worked out the kinks. Very turnover-prone in his first year in Bruce Arians' system. Much like Jameis Winston, he threw 30 interceptions. I just don't know if Bruce Arians is patient enough to go through it again with another turnover-prone quarterback. Because guess what? Bruce Arians also worked with Ben Roethlisberger. And Big Ben was a work in progress, but he had already won a championship. Built a nice rapport in the NFL. And Bruce Arians worked with him and they were able to turn out another title. Jameis Winston's not a championship quarterback. 
Both Ben Roethlisberger and Carson Palmer had had histories of winning. Guess what? Jameis Winston's 14 games under 500. He can throw the ball all over the yard. A lot of his yards and touchdowns are empty calories, a la Dak Prescott. If I'm, I'm telling the Tampa Bay Bucks right now, you have to be awfully careful with how you treat this Jameis Winston situation. This is the best year for free agent quarterbacks. I wouldn't go after Phillip Rivers, and I wouldn't even go after Tom Brady. I'm looking at Teddy Bridgewater. I might even look in the direction of Nick Foles and say, you know what? These guys are much safer with the football. They're much more careful. And we can win with these guys. These guys have history. They have playoff experience. They have regular season success, and they're both pro bowlers. And they're both bridge quarterbacks. You won't have to pay the farm for either Teddy Bridgewater or Nick Foles. That's what I would do if I'm the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, that's about everything I have today. Other scores around the NBA. Oklahoma City gets their 35th win of the season, 131-103 over the Spurs. Uh, the Raptors get win number 42, taking down the 33-win Indiana Pacers, 127-81. The Nuggets beat the Timberwolves, 128-116. The Nuggets remain the second seed in the West at 39-18. Of course, the Lakers' big winners over the Celtics, 114-112. And the Chicago Bulls take down the Washington Wizards, 126-117. The Wizards fall to 20-34. The Bulls are now 19-38. Those are the scores around the NBA. In the NHL yesterday, the Caps take down the Penguins 5-3 to gain sole possession of first in the Metropolitan Division. They remain in the hunt for the President's Cup, the President's Trophy, excuse me. The Sabres, 2-1 winners over the Winnipeg Jets. The Dallas Stars get a 2-1 win over the Chicago Blackhawks to get their 36th win of the season. The New York Islanders move to 35-20-6, winning 4-1 over the San Jose Sharks. And the Calgary Flames take down the Detroit Red Wings 4-2. Calgary now 32-25-6. They officially move to above 500. The Detroit Red Wings 15-45-4 remain one of the worst teams in the NHL. A little bit of college basketball for you. In the AP Top 25, number 9 Penn State upset by unranked Indiana, 68-60. Seton Hall uh, takes down unranked St. John's, 81-65. Seton Hall coming in at ranked number 16th. 15th ranked Creighton takes down Butler, 81-59. Butler ranked 21st. And 25th ranked Ohio State takes down 7th ranked Maryland in an upset, 79-72. And the first two days of Major League Baseball spring training are out of the way. The Houston Astros, or should I say the Houston Asterix, lose their first exhibition game 2-1 to one to the team that beat them in the World Series, the Washington Nationals, among other scores. Some exciting games in the NBA coming up tonight. The one-seeded Milwaukee Bucks visit the Washington Wizards at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C., looking for win number 49. The 76ers at 35 wins take on and host the Atlanta Hawks at 17-41 at 7 o'clock in Philadelphia. Uh, the Houston Rockets at 8 o'clock, 14.5 point favorites to beat the 17-win New York Knicks. And the Clippers at 37-19 will play host to the Memphis Grizzlies at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
And a big game at 8.30, the Dallas Mavericks at 34-23 host the Minnesota Timberwolves. Big games across the NBA tonight. Only one game in the NHL tonight, the Blue Jackets of Columbus play host to the Ottawa Senators starting at 7 o'clock. Columbus favored in that one on Vegas betting lines. And the big matchups in college basketball. 11th-ranked Louisville visiting 8th-ranked Florida State, 17th-ranked West Virginia, uh, visiting unranked Texas, and unranked Oklahoma State visiting third-seeded Kansas. Uh, the first two games I mentioned at 7 o'clock, Oklahoma State and Kansas tip off at 9. Thanks again to my little brother, Michael Valliere, for his time on the show today, and another special thanks for the intro and outro music to Joey Fricks and Joe Nowitzki, one of my good buddies here at Liberty University, and uh, we will see you tomorrow. You have been listening to today's episode of The Jadava Show.